Hi, I'm Ben and welcome to Field and Foley episode 17. Today I'm honored to welcome Melissa Pons, a dedicated field recordist and sound designer from Portugal, on a mission to capture nature's symphonies. At the non-profit Earth FM, she helps to curate submissions to the now over 700 immersive natural soundscapes from all over the world. Melissa's own field recording adventures took her to the rainforest and into a wolf rehabilitation center where she's documented the captivating sounds of her beautiful planet. Her commitment to preserving Earth's wonders extends to crafting concept albums from her recordings and I wholeheartedly recommend giving them a listen. So thank you, Melissa, for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. I wanted to talk to you for a long time, actually, because um, I've been in contact with you, I think, two or three times over Twitter. Uh And we spoke about like the the wolf recordings and I was really impressed by like the sounds they made, like the yeah sounds I haven't heard before. And Mm -hmm. it felt very... I don't know, for for lack of a better word, it felt very real and very, very true. And um, yeah, and I, I looked into like podcasts where you appeared and then also um, this one article actually on, on Earth FM from um, Niels. Oh, no, I don't have the last name. Yeah, Niels Mosch. I, I'm not sure. He's from Germany, so he can help me with the accent. I think he's Mosch or is it? Yeah, else? it should be it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and the, the article was uh, was titled Field Recording, A Plea for Recording Nearby. And mm-hmm. his, his credo was like, you should record your own material in, in your yeah, locality because that's where you are from and that's where you can record the truest and mm-hmm. also, it's uh, yeah, it's the best thing for the environment to not fly around the world and record everywhere. Right. And um, yeah, so like the the general credo of like record locally and hire globally is something that really spoke to me because in in the past I was thinking like yeah maybe at some point I can visit maybe this natural park or maybe this site, but now I'm I'm more inclined of like finding people that are from this these areas and they can record it with more care and with. With all the knowledge and all the cultural like sensibilities, I would say. So, yeah. So I wanted to ask you about like this whole topic of like recording ethics. Um, what's your stance on it? And maybe this is a good place in a podcast to reach people that are maybe not um, familiar with all this. Oof, uh, this is a really long topic, and it's very multi-layered, really. Um, so. I think that by recording locally, to start with that, you are, as he says very well, you are, even if you have been living in this place for like 10 years, let's say, you will indeed um, practice some sort of listening that will uh, indeed make you getting closer to this environment, to the people, to the culture, to everything that is in it. And... You can also involve people. He speaks about some experiences where uh, people around him, you know, because he can show up uh, with uh, with his equipment and, you know, invariably this brings a lot of curiosity, right? <laughs> yeah. If a camera brings, usually sometimes the sound equipment, people are not so familiar, especially if you come around with a, you know, big uh, uh, fur for the microphones. It's always curious and it can be a, a good starting point. It doesn't always... Uh, 
sometimes the encounters are a bit hostile because I think people are afraid that they're being spied or something like that. <laughs> yeah. This has happened to me a few times, but yeah, uh, I think just, you know, a little bit of conversation can, can clarify these things. And um, yeah, I think in this sense, it's very interesting to understand uh, the dynamics of a uh, place. Uh, I can um, try to be short on this example. Uh, I live in the countryside since two and a half years ago, and uh, I was not um, familiar at all with what it is to be in the countryside. And of course, you know, I think most people coming from the city there's a romanticized vision of things. Uh, we, we can extrapolate this to go, you know, even further to the South Hemisphere in some places, for example, but um, but staying more locally now. And to hear the environment, uh, to hear the people talk, you know, especially the older people, um, how things have been evolving, um, how their lives were there, how nature has transformed or has been uh, transforming through so-called development, which is also tricky because, you know, infrastructures, they are generally needed, but they always bring consequences that sometimes uh, we don't really necessarily think about, but it can be very prejudicial. And um, two quick e examples about this. I live by the biggest artificial lake in Europe. <laughs> mm, <okay. laughs> Let's start there, okay? And uh, uh, this is a very dry area. Uh, here in Portugal, uh, and it, it's traditional, I think, one of the poorest regions in the in the whole country, and it has been like that for, for a long time. People were traditionally just farmers or this kind of uh, professions, um, and uh, there was periods of, uh, um, you know, really not a lot of food available because it's really hard to cultivate uh, in here. The ecosystem is like the, the Heza, which only exists here in Spain and in some parts in Morocco. So it, it's, it's, it's not very uh, varied and people also needed to domesticate animals for grazing, for meat, for milk uh, and so on. Uh, it, it is a very beautiful place. I'm, you know, I'm in love with it uh, every day. Um, in 2001, I believe, or 2002, there was a construction of a very, very, very big dam. And you can actually see it if you see, if you go on the like Google past images and mm, if you see yeah. it from the 80s, uh, I think uh, the satellite pictures, I think the earliest one are from the uh, late 80s or beginning of 90s. And you can see this body of water just grow, 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 grow. It's really crazy, actually, to, you know, to see like a time lapse of this. And um, the transformation on the landscape and the life of people, it's really not insignificant at all. Uh, first of all, the animals that existed here before that and now, it suffered immensely, mm. really, really a lot. Um, there is a guy here that uh, he's about uh, my age, he's 30 something. So it's actually, you know, not the, these oldest people. And he would say uh, something very funny, which was, if you would were to kick a rock, three rabbits would jump bes uh, below it. <laughs> Um, so far I've only seen maybe one rabbit or two. I'm not sure if it was the same, for example. So it was full of these small animals, mm. a lot of birds. Um, there was a river that uh, crossed the village here. And uh, everyone that is on their 40s and up, they're spent, especially the boys, you know, because it's still very gendered society, of course, unfortunately. But, but you know, it's, it's just how it is. 
um, they lived their childhood by this river. And I heard countless stories, you know, of like boys being, you know, doing their boy stuff. Uh, the river, that's where 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 they learned to swim with their fathers, yeah. uh, where they were playing, where they learned how to fish. And it, this was also bizarre to me. I didn't really understand. But now the river is underwater, which is a really bizarre thing to to picture, right? Yeah. Lots of villages were uh, underwater, so many people have to be relocated to villages that were newly built by then. It changed the agriculture. Uh, it, cha it changed also the way that uh, a lot of land is being exploited. I'm not saying that this wouldn't happen if this time hadn't existed. Um, so a lot of this natural um, landscape was transformed into monocultures uh, especially of uh, olive trees, cork trees, and now more recently almond trees, uh, which is really very, very sad to see. So now everything is very like geometric, you know, you see like everything very delined, very precisely. Yeah. Uh, very shaped by humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. completely, like so fake. <laughs> <laughs> um, regardless of that, I think we cannot uh, just look at the things on, on, on just one side because there were shortages of water. In the summer, we're talking about temperatures of like 40 degrees, 45 many times. For And the summer is very long, you know, it's kind of from April until October. And there's two, three months where the temperatures really are very, uh, very high. You know, a lot of crops uh, end up, you know, getting lost uh, because of that, because things get really, really scorched, uh, people included. <laughs> so that's why people here don't work between like 12 and 4 in the afternoon, because, you know, they will be cooked uh, literally, right? Mm. Um, and regarding that, the whole country makes jokes about this region because they think people here are lazy, but, in, you know, indeed, actually, they work a lot, but they start really early in the morning. And then, you know, they typically go work until dinner time or, or beyond because of this scorching heat during the summer. Yeah. But people need water, you know, in their homes for their daily needs. And the fact that we have this dam allowed that to happen, you know, and that these shortages uh, don't impact people in the same way. Mm. And I hear all these stories and I, I come here, you know, I, I rec I've been recording a lot here and I've been recording lots of birds and, you know, a lot of different stuff. And I think it's beautiful. And I was like, oh, my God, swimming in April in the lake, this is beautiful and so on and so on. And then I hear the stories back and there's so much history and I don't want to lose these memories, you know, because in 20 years, so many of these people are not going to be alive anymore because it's a very elderly uh, population. Yeah. And they also told me, you know, we're going to speak about wolves, I guess, maybe. Um, there used to be wolves here. So um, I don't know if this is, you know, a spread out fact that people know a lot. But Portugal, Portugal and Spain, but I know a bit more about Portugal in specific. The whole country, except some places by the coast, was filled with wolf population, the Iberian wolf. And it was hunted almost, almost, almost to extinction. So much that now uh, there's some, there has been some recovery in the last uh, two decades, I believe, but they basically uh, live just uh, on the north uh, strip mm. um, shared with Spain. And there used to be wolves here. And I've been talking to people who remember hearing the wolves howling at night. And they were also hunted to extinction. Actually, I spoke to someone the first summer I was here that said, I remember when the last wolf was killed. And, you know, this is really, really sad. And you could think, man, there could have been another way. Yeah. But I think we also should, um, 
I don't sympathize with this idea at all, obviously, of course. Yeah, yeah, but of course. but I think we should put in perspective these people that had these tremendous difficulties in sustaining sustaining life, like with food, which is like the most basic thing, they couldn't afford to have their sheep killed by wolves, right? Yeah, yeah, of um, course. Yeah. Of course, there's other factors. Uh, you know, the wolves provoked, you know, the lack of them provoked an unbalance in the system. So then mm. there was lots of um, wild boars that now are also, you know, heavily hunted here. There's also like inbreeding with, you know, it's really complicated situation. But I feel that just the act of listening, you know, regarding uh, regardless if I am recording or not, just this act of listening really allows me to um, put a lot of humanity with all the faults that it has, with all the f- flaws also, but, but it really allows me to understand. And I was also thinking today that uh, there's a lot of uh, spotless starlings here. I'm kind of bragging a lot about this on Twitter because I think they are so cute and their song is so beautiful and, and they mimic a lot of other birds and they're very uh, comical also, like their display and how they sing and everything. It's like a Pixar film kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And they are everywhere. And I wake up with them every day and I think it's really, you know, really literally makes me smile. Yeah. And I really love the way that um, they sound within the village because of the, the materials that the houses are built with. The acoustics is really beautiful. Mm, yeah, um, that's, that's nice. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's not specifically like, you know, raw nature at all, mm. but there's a lot of beauty in it. And actually, in fact, like I have them as neighbors I think because they like to live around the houses, um, they are in the fields also, but they are more prevalent just, you know, between the houses in the streets. And I think that if my only pursuit was to go a little bit further, this is a very tiny village. I mean, I walk 10 minutes and there's no one for kilometers. You know, it's a, it's a privilege, actually. I hope it doesn't change that much. <laughs> but uh, But if I was not, if I was just focusing on this concept of, pure nature, which is a bit uh, BS, and maybe you can touch on that later yeah, or yeah. not. But um, I think I would not be able to appreciate this, these things, you know? Yeah, this interconnection between the, the humans and the, the world itself. And, yeah. and the rest, of course. And also people know that, that uh, I do that. I think um, that when I came here, so my, uh, my aunt is from here. She has a house here, but she has not been living here for many years. She had to go to one of the examples that she had to go and get education in Lisbon. And then, you know, she just been there for, for her entire life. Mm. And um, yeah, I can imagine it's a small place. So it's like everyone is cousins with everyone. Um, very tiny. So I think the news spread quite quickly <laughs> that someone new was here. Yeah. And I was, I don't know if this still stands, but I was known as uh, the girl who records sounds. <laughs> <laughs> of course. You'll probably be the only one that records sounds here, right? Yes, but there has been people that has been recording sounds to send to me now with their phones. And they oh. say, oh, it's beautiful, all these birds in the spring and the cows. Oh, nice. and, and, and So this has happened. So you're spreading the, the open ear for nature. That's nice. Yeah. And again, you know, this is one of these interactions that is happening because in a way, uh, I'm, you know, a bit out there attesting that I do this, you know, that this is something that, that I do. Mm. So, so I think just the creation of these relationships can be really beautiful, you know, and the fact that we are listening to, uh, to everything. Um, so on the local part, like, this is what I would have to say, um, of the, all the good sides of it, even if the knowledge that we get from it sometimes is sad things, but yeah. 
that's that's how how life is um and uh next uh within your question was a bit complex so next yeah but... i mean it was just like basically i just started to to throw this topic at you because um i know it's a big one and but i just wanted to get started and see where we go with this because um yeah as you said it's like it's a big thing and it is very faceted and mm -hmm. um, just like you said for example i i have um, doing several times during the year when i'm like brushing my teeth in the morning and i have my, my windows open i can hear the birds because i have like a massive forest almost right next to the mm. house but yes. on the other side i have the autobahn so it's like traffic on the one side and very like industrial buildings and on the other side it's just you can just see trees mm -hmm. and this like yeah this duality is is very very clear to me always and mm -hmm. i hope I, i can just hope that this place stays as long as possible on that brink because right The the other thing would be then that there would be more houses and more development and uh, woods would slowly vanish. So you would be in the middle of a city. So right now we're like on the on the rim of the city, so to say. Yeah. And I really like that because I can just walk into the woods and after a while I can't hear a lot of traffic anymore, um, especially in, uh, during certain times. But also, as you said, it's like very convenient to be uh, in near the city and have all the amenities and. Just, just speaking of, uh, for example, hospitals. Um, I we live in a big house with with my whole family. So if if someone gets sick or we have uh, elderly in the house as well that need like doctor care. So that's yeah. We we can't live like <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to see it. Um, but yeah, and that is like this. Um, I know this place. I've been here for almost all my life with some pauses, but I I know the areas and I know like the different nature. Um, the different scenes we have here and the different we have a lot of caves here which are beautiful which I really like mm -hmm. to just sit there and listen to it if I can mm. so yeah all that all those nooks and crannies and all those wisdom of knowing when um, like time of day but also seasons when something happens and when something interesting is and trying to capture that and trying to also like get other people interested and, and excited about this because Like like you said, like people approach you with like the recordings, and uh, I have the same now where people are like, "Oh, I have found this thing which sounds really nice," or "I have heard this bird, I have no idea," and they they tend to keep a more open ear after we talked about like my passion for for recording in general, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I really like that to get all those different different views, and also like just today, like your view and your local view of your surroundings. It's it's always very interesting and, and fascinating to me. Precisely, yeah. Well, I don't know if you would like to now go on the reverse, which is to go and record not locally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Let's speak about that because, as I as I mentioned briefly, that was in the beginning when I was like fresh at recording. I was like, oh, I want to record all the waterfalls, and yeah. I want to go to this lake, and I want to visit this volcano and this stuff. And um, yeah, this this <laughs> changed over time, fortunately. So. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, this a big, this really, you know, I think we can kind of dismember this um this big topic in in some others. Um and I think that you know, who hasn't had or has this sort of wish? I have mm, it for sure, course. you know. I have obviously, you know, a few places that I would really love to to go to experience and uh to record, but I also think about Uh, my role in it, you know, mm. uh, sometimes I think I maybe I'm overthinking a little bit. Um, and I was talking 
since we're going to speak maybe about Earth FM, uh, we're doing a program now that I don't know if you're aware, it's a nature field recording uh, grant program mm-hmm. in which we attributed uh, equipment and uh, some budget for expenses um, to five people of the Global South. Oh, nice. This is because of the immense lack of representation, let's say that, yeah. when it comes to the um, Global South specifically, in which I believe that until this, uh, I'm talking specifically about um, Earth FM, like what we have it and how the map was, you know, composed and 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 so on. But all the recordings we had in uh, the African continent, for example, they were done by people in the global north. All right. Mm. Um, and uh, so we're talking a bit about you know going to another place, uh, and of course there's this curiosity, and we have, I think we have, you know, some sort of. Um, not entitlement, but why why wouldn't we not have the right to visit other places, right? Yeah. I was, um, these days I was reading some sort of manifesto or just a small essay um, about uh, tourism. And I just want to quote a small paragraph. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, of course. Sure. Yeah. So it's uh, from someone called, uh, it's from Jaime Martinez Luna. And this is called Honoring the Possibilities that Tourism Brings While Apprenticing Its Conquesting Consequences. And uh, he says, every tourist wants to resolve unsatisfied needs in the place they live in. Let us focus our reflection on international tourism. If we affirm that tourism wants to solve or resolve needs that a foreigner's place of residence does not satisfy, it can be deduced that they come to fill gaps, that they want to live experiences otherwise unknown to them. This means that you are a tourist because you need to have what you don't have. And even if it's just looking at a landscape, it's because it's lacking in the place one comes from. To think that tourists only come to spend their money, a resource that is required locally, is to devalue our own way of life here. Let us be clear. This does not mean that we reject the lessons that teach us that this process of touristification expands the power of foreigner capital. In market relations, our geography contributes to the process of invasion, extraction of resources and the exploitation of our work. So, I think we can speak a lot about... um you know, this need for adventure, to see new things. Uh, yeah. I, myself, I'm a person, I I need to live by novelty, otherwise I get very bored, you know, <laughs> in a, in many, many aspects of, uh, of my life. Um, but, you know, everything that comes with the biggest um, form of tourism nowadays, it can be very uh, prejudicial to the peoples in those places. Um, even what is so-called like sustainable or for nature tourism it's um yeah it's it's very very tricky right yeah so i don't think there's any ill intention from anyone who wants to visit other places and i think it's also very important to have contact with other cultures and other types of environment i think it's very healthy when i think about biodiversity i don't only think about the biodiversity of a place as in what so-called nature offers, but also like a diversity on cultures. I think like it's just, yeah. you know, it, it helps everyone grow. Uh, but we could also speak about, 
you know, how immigrants usually are so badly treated <laughs> mm. uh, in, in any country, especially like Europe. I mean, it's we're going through something that is quite, um, maybe it has always been like that, but there are points in time where things, um, I think they, they kind of explode in a way, in a little bit, in, a, in some way. They seem to spike, yeah. Mm-hmm. But as a field recordist, I think that... Um, or, or any person that is documenting, you know, it doesn't have to be sound, uh, can be like documentary, photography, film, whatever, you know, any, anything that uses media. I think it's the responsibility of that person to really uh, be open, not judgmental, but understand to what place they are going to. Mm-hmm. There are many places that are huge touristic attractions, especially when it comes to nature, that have been formed by the eviction, always violent, of people who have been living there for endless generations, and that helped to shape the nature that we look at, that we are, you know, sought after. But now we have been kind of sanitizing and molding the aesthetics of this nature according to the work that I have been doing. So uh, I think this is starting to be a bit more common knowledge because in the last years um, there's been more awareness of the, the importance of indigenous people specifically to their environment. Yeah. So the most biodiverse places on the planet are places where there's always been intervention of indigenous people in a sustainable way. The Amazon, the Congo Basin, for example. So this idea of nature exists because those people worked in and with the land. And there is a tendency that it has been shaping our imaginary since all documentaries, Lion King even, for example, that wilderness is a place that exists as it is in a sort of pure state. Mm-hmm. Because people don't live in there. And this is a very big problem. Because these processes are uh, extremely violent. And if we go to some of these places, there's always um, a hierarchy of power, right? Yeah. Because I go there with my expensive equipment that is made with materials that have been sourced from these places that were degraded and which people were, uh, you know, violated in many ways, expelled, got sick, uh, were killed, raped, beaten. This is happening, you know, a little bit... um, Africa, Americas, uh, even some places in India, there's a lot of things... um, like that. And then we bring back to our places, to Europe or, you know, United States or an image of a pure nature that has this past and present full of these atrocities. And we also think that, oh, but uh, since last 20 years, the tiger population uh, has actually, you know, grown 10% or whatever. And then we call the peoples that used to live there 
and hunted for food poachers, <laughs> while on the other side, there are people from the rich countries paying I don't even know how many thousands yeah. to kill a lion or an elephant or a rhino or whatever. And, and post it on Instagram, yeah. And I think that these dynamics really need to be very present in our minds. I think knowledge really is power. And I think this knowledge can, should actually allow us to make the best decisions that we can do. Okay. Uh, this is my opinion. Um, because, you know, if you evict people, you take them off their lands and you kind of erase them from history in a way, we're losing generations of knowledge about the fauna, the flora, plant medicine, worldviews, uh, mythology, and we throw them on the lowest end possible of capitalism. They are thrown into like the, the depths of poverty, right? Because before they were sustaining uh, themselves with the land and living in some sort of harmony. And I'm not trying to romanticize anything here, right? What I believe is yeah. in autonomy of these people or even people from the countryside, not necessarily only uh, indigenous people. But I think in many minds, there's also the idea that indigenous people are primitive and however they seek to live their lives, it's about their, their own autonomy. So in my perspective, this really speaks about decolonizing our own minds and to deconstruct these uh, myths really and understand why they have been propagated and where they, they come from and really to seek out other ways of seeing and other ways of understanding. But yeah, so I believe in the autonomy of these people and, and there are obviously ways in which uh, I believe we can do this um, in a proper way. And that is to come with curiosity, right? Yeah. Um, and openness and make sure that, you know, if it comes with, um, if we're talking about supporting by paying guides or by supporting the business within the tourism industry, even then I think we should be um, careful because many national parks, for example, they have been created on these premises of eviction. Mm, yeah violence and this shaping of nature just to satisfy our pleasure. And uh, as people who document whatever media they are using, it's also this kind of voyeurism kind of thing, which, which I'm not saying it's a bad thing in itself, but it's, it's really enhancing the separation from humans and everything else. And it's really tricky because, you know, in our case, we have been born in this... Uh, in this context, and it's really difficult to actually grasp, I think, what is like to not seeing yourself as separated from nature, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, some time ago I, I heard uh, a podcast with uh, Fior Longo. She's the director of Survival International, which is an um, organization that fights for indigenous rights. Um, and uh, she works a lot with uh, Masai, for example. And uh, she was saying she was she was uh, in Tanzania, I believe. Um, and w one of her Masai friends told her because she wanted to take a picture. She, she thought it was really beautiful, 
uh, I don't know, the trees and, you know, the environment. And there was maybe a zebra and there was the, the houses of the Maasai and there was the domestic animals. Mm -hmm. And she pulled up her phone to take a picture. And she said, I think this is so beautiful. And he said, yeah, really? Well, this for us is just, this is home. <laughs> and, and, and you see, it's like where we see this like immense beauty. I'm not saying it's not beautiful, of course, but for them it's, it's home. It's not something to take pleasure from in this. Yeah, it's the normal way. environment, uh, the living, breathing world around them. Yeah, right. So I've been starting to be more and more conscious about it, about this, and you know, I'm talking about myself here. Okay, so I would never go to these parks, never, <laughs> because I cannot uh, support this kind of business and this kind of operation. Um, But there are indeed small organizations, but it's probably things that, you know, are barely online <laughs> yeah. that maybe you can just reach, you know, maybe just sometimes it's just, uh, you know, four or five people that have a piece of land and they really try to take care of it in the best way possible. And maybe they have some, um, you know, ways to try and, uh, and mold the, the regional uh, politics or something. It can be a countryside But it, it needs to come without judgment. And I think we cannot really take remove people from the picture, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's what you mentioned um, earlier when you said like that there's no such, like really no such thing as like this pure nature untouched. Yeah, this is a myth. Uh -huh. Because yeah, it's all a big ecosystem where we all influence each other. And I think it's, yeah, that's something that is, um, as I got older also, starting to sink in uh, in my thinking as well and because I, I I very much saw this all in a very black and white kind of well you shouldn't touch anything at all um, or you have a city you have those both extremes and nothing in between but all those like little dynamics um, as you said like for example they needed this this water to survive and that meant that other species suffered but it was like this ecosystem, that grew like naturally because of all those interconnected events and like of poverty of people trying to survive of maybe even like missing technology and like let's say far back um, we now have more advanced ways of doing something that's less invasive uh, if if we care to do it so i mean oftentimes people are still like just uh, yeah ripping open the earth for everything and um, but like technically we are getting more and more advanced in that we can live even better with nature and that's something that yeah that hasn't been there for for many many years before and all this yeah all this all this world is interconnected in in so many ways that mm -hmm. there is yeah n nothing even if i'm staying here um just like you said i i buy my recorders i need like of course i try to use re reusable batteries and everything else but still yeah. those batteries have been yeah have been manufactured somewhere And I have no idea where the raw material came from. And it's most probably somewhere with not great working conditions. And there's, yeah, there, there's no such thing as not being involved in all this. Exactly. Yeah, this is a really good point. There's, there's no such thing as not being involved. Just, just when we bring our technology with the best intentions that we can, we can have, we're all compliant in it. Um, I do think, you know, if you allow me to disagree a little bit or to provoke a little bit, uh, sure. I think this technology 
I think some people call it techno optimism. Um, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, I'm also not against technology. Hello, like I'm having you know some devices here right now, um, yes. and I you know took a bus to go to town today. This you know this kind of thing, um, but uh, I I think that what should be more on the front page of our lives is to reshape and to reconsider our relationship with the planet. Um, And I think this actually can really mean to change a lot of our lifestyle and the way that we uh, see nature, to not see it as an extractive thing. I'm speaking of capitalism as an extractivist, um, like big monster policy kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the relationship of when we say, oh, yeah, the gold was taken from the land of the Yanomami in North Brazil, in the Amazon. And this happens inside countries as well. This is a very good example. In the Scandinavian countries, there are the Sami people. They, they live mostly in the northern part of Scandinavia. They go through the same thing, right? They are also evicted. They are forbidden to fish from the rivers. But then that place opened a power plant of some kind and polluted the rivers. But the people that live super sustainably as well, they cannot live like that anymore. And there's all, all these forceful evictions and throwing people into something that has not been the way that they live. And in many cases, not the way that they want to live. So we don't even need to go to Brazil, you know, to, yeah, to see yeah. these, these examples happening. So, and I think that, you know, the technology thing, the trust in technology to solve, I think this can incur a little bit in a false sensation of hope, which I understand because things are really screwed up. It's really, really screwed up, unfortunately, on many levels. But if you just put the environment part, although I I really believe that everything is completely connected, wars included, uh, typically for resources and land for, and land for resources, yeah, what I believe is that we need also to be able to imagine just a different kind of worldview, even, you know? So, of course, we're going to need technology, you know, to clean up oceans, to produce things in better ways, but I think we actually need to produce way less. <laughs> yeah. And to be way less shallow, you know? Yeah, that's that's also the, like the, the point uh, a bit that I was trying to make is that... Um, it's it's getting more and more to that point where we can recycle like stuff that we use to throw away uh, way easier and that's that's a, a kind of technology that is very very uh, dear to my heart because mm-hmm. i've never felt comfortable with for example even when i was younger with like throwing away batteries it was always something that seemed strange to me because these are like this these blocks of metal and really rare materials I, I have guessed in the past mm-hmm. and after they are empty we just throw the whole thing away and they probably land on some dump that can't be the way to do things and the same thing goes also for um there's there's a whole movement called rights to repair mm-hmm. um which is in my opinion something that is very very important that we all as consumers um be very proactive in choosing the stuff that we can repair ourselves and mm-hmm. being very vocal and very not not only vocal, but like... Participative. Yeah, sometimes people call it voting with your money, right? Like, don't buy products where you know that the the corporate 
structure is all set on you buying something and if it breaks, you throw it away and you buy a new one because that is not the way we want to live. And mm -hmm. um, that is definitely the thing that that influences me in deciding what to buy, um, especially, for example, for microphones. Um, I, I try to find little-known manufacturers that maybe do them themselves and you have repair plans for it. And, I mean... All these, all these things, for example, for me is very important because I know that if I buy like a really good microphone that I want to use it for 20, 30, 40 years, maybe as long as I live, if I can repair it forever, because it's a precious thing. And not just because it's like it was expensive, because it is a precious thing, because there's so many rare materials, there's so many thought mm -hmm. and time goes into producing something that, that makes this yeah, recording even better that I, I myself feel I have to have respect for all the time and materials that flow into that. Right. And yeah, like throwing something like a microphone away is something that I, I, I never want to do. I mean, I try to find, if I can't do it myself, I try to find someone else um, to helping me in, in repairing stuff because yeah, that for me is like a, a priority. But yeah, as, as you said, of course, there's also this like, oh, technology will save us all and um, we can believe in that and just go on <laughs> as we as we were. And that is like this false security that maybe people fall into that maybe are also like overwhelmed with, like like you said, like it's it's a really, it's a really bad situation and there's so many bad things going on. But I think if you're conscious about that and trying to constantly look at yourself, at your behavior, at your consumerism, um, that is at least a step in the right direction to to see where this can where this can go. And but you're right, I mean yeah, for example, manufacturing is is one of the most cruel things that we have right now. We don't have I don't know, we don't have a I in my in my mind I don't have a clear path into how we can change this fast as fast as, as it should change but yeah yeah uh, i think you know uh, here we're talking a lot about uh, you know consumer choice and and i think um not everyone but uh, some some people can have uh, a choice in the way that they uh, consume mm, yeah. um it's it's often a privileged situation right Yes. Um, yeah. You know, especially not not obviously not the only uh, example. There's a lot more, but but I think it's a very um, uh, common example to, for example, to buy clothing from brands that uh, you know uh, allegedly. Um, uh, how do you say allegedly? Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that they are. Uh, made with organic cotton and you know with low impact and so on but you will never pay less than like 60 euro for a blank t-shirt right yeah of course and, uh, and not everyone you, can do that yeah not at all like you cannot ask a single mom of three you know to buy a t-shirt for a five-year-old kid that costs 40 euro or something like that so so and it's really uh it's really weird. It, like it's some. It's even obscene that you know. It's supposedly, in order for many people to do this kind of uh, quote right choices, they have to have a lot of money. <laughs> you yeah. know? But uh, but I think the problem really um, uh, relies a lot on on like big corporate corporations. Uh, you know that they always have their foot in 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 governments, um, and uh, and you know they. You know, appropriate means, uh, means of production, land. Uh, like, for example, I know last year, I don't know if it's still the same person, but the president of uh, WWF, 
um, was like the president of Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you, you know, and all these kind of dynamics and relationships, yeah. when you start to think about it, it's like, oh, man, you know. Um, and, you know, for us in our generation, I mean, our parents didn't grow up with this sort of conscious, most of our parents, you know. I know there was like a lot of... Um, uh, climate movements already from the 70s and so on, but that was like that was reserved for the, like quote hippies and you know these people on psychedelic drugs and stuff. You know they they were. I'm not saying I'm not uh, framing them like that, but they have been framed like this kind of you know flower yeah. people or or whatever, which is a way of um, diminishing their fight also and their causes, uh, which still happens a little bit uh, nowadays, maybe you know under other framings, but. But suddenly we're like, oh man, like there's really the 1% <laughs> and they have so much power. And it's, I, I understand that it can feel discouraging to think about, you know, this really uh, immense, like this displacement of, of uh, you know, this dis distribution of power, which is so unbelievably unfair. Um but uh, but again, I think knowledge is power, and that's where you know one can can start. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, just like you said uh, before, it was this like uh, yeah, just uh, just hippies are uh, those flower people are trying to to change the world and uh, trying to diminish them and this yeah they were kind of thing. And, and nowadays we have like things like the carbon footprint, for example. That's something that I I think. Like last year or something, only I learned that the carbon footprint term came from big oil originally yeah. to try to get people to say like, okay, you you have to change something so they can get out of that. And yeah, as you said, like knowledge is power, and we have fortunately um, in the last I would say like ten years or something, when the as the internet has grown and has been more and more been more and more connected, and you have those whistleblowers to have those leaks. Definitely, at least you have so many information. Um, just like on, on so many topics and you can at least do an informed decision. But like you said, if you have the means to do so. And the other thing is, how could we change this for the rest of the population that can't? Um, that is something that, yeah, as I said, I don't have any clear path to that because mm -hmm. like I said, manufacturing, for example, like how can you do manufacturing for clothing that is sustainable but also affordable for people uh, for for all people yeah and in a layer that is even more uh, on uh, more deep than that uh, do we need to fabricate more clothes at all in the world <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah that's that's that goes back to the term of like reuse and repair because um, we probably have enough material already lying somewhere in the dump um, because lots of people just throw stuff away and so many things are like yeah uh yeah it's a it's a very it's it's a kind of horrible topic but it's also i'm also glad that you that you speak about that in depth because i think it's important to to at least reflect on that and uh yeah maybe i i at least hope that some listeners uh haven't heard of some of those things and maybe inform themselves on more and try to find a way to to contribute to the the right direction at least yeah it is a shock but uh yeah. you know <laughs> without it i mean life would be boring or i don't know <laughs> it's difficult it's difficult yeah mm -hmm. it's difficult yeah mm -hmm. um but going back a bit because you mentioned earth fm um for a while and also i, I said it in the intro but I, we, we haven't spoken about what is earth fm so maybe you can give us like a brief overview 
what this is. <laughs> sure. Uh, so Earth FM is a, a completely free platform, and it's a, also a nonprofit that um, we sometimes frame it as like Spotify for nature sounds. And uh, you know, as you said, uh, we have I think now we surpassed seven hundred and fifty uh, recordings from many 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 places of the world like a lot of uh, is uh, is kind of uh, is kind of covered um and i was uh, brought into this uh, project actually via george vlad mm. mm-hmm. um because he has been one of the earliest contributors with some of his uh, recordings uh, along with uh, mark anderson i think they were like the two prominent field recordists that uh, you know kind of you know started to add a lot of points to to the map um and um initially actually there was a map that i think is called nature map that belonged to mark anderson uh, uh his well his project is known by wild ambience he's uh, from australia and he records a lot in that region not only but a lot in those regions and uh and then Catalin uh zorzini which is the founder of uh, earth fm he told me once that he like the very primary idea um, or the very origin actually for the project was because he fell in love with whale song um, and uh, he, he practices meditation a lot and I think he found a lot of uh, maybe he, he should be saying but I think he, he did found a lot of solace you know with uh, with listening to to you know to these sounds of uh, sounds of nature and um, I think he really believes in like bringing some sort of peace and comfort, you know, in this very busy world, you know, with lots of all sorts of pollution, mental pollution, sound pollution, light pollution, device pollution, everything. And uh, to help people not only to just use it, you know, to relax, because that's also something that we could definitely debate. But um, <laughs> but uh, but actually to be, you know, to be a bit aware and be in, in, in like more connection with nature, because also, I mean, it's it's also a privilege to access certain spaces where the pollution is very reduced. Right. Yeah. It's it's also a lot of people don't have access. And then why not? You know, uh, oh, how I wonder how a forest in some part of Australia sounds. And then, you know, if you are curious, we can, you know, go to the internet, go to Earth FM and, you know, pick a point and, you know, understand how, how these places sound. And I think this is really, uh, it's really cool. It's, uh, it's very, very interesting. And, uh, you know, besides the, uh, all the sounds that we have been collecting, um, you know, we also have ways to uh, support artists, we have a blog where we debate a lot of these uh, themes that we were talking about and, and, you know, some other stuff, you know, one of more recent articles was even about um, uh, animal rights, for example, and animal welfare, which was written by uh, Neil Clark, which is one of the, the writers for Earth FM. I write some stuff there also sometimes. <laughs> um Interviews. I am now uh, very happily producing a podcast with interviews uh, with uh, artists and field recordists that also participate on Earth FM. Uh, soon to be released. <laughs> Can I pull the very plug? Cool. Looking forward <laughs> to that. Uh, and it's been great because I really, really uh, have been have been learning a lot. And um, yeah, so it, it's constantly developing because you know it requires a big team. A big team. I mean, I cannot say we're like 30 people, but you know, maybe we're around 10 people or something like that from web developers, designers, you know, uh, me as a field recordist, um, 
people that manage, like, uh, you know, uh, also Jan, which is also a field recordist that also works with us, or that we work all together, kind of. It's more like, a <laughs> it's, it's more like a very self-autonomous kind of uh, organism uh, going, you know, which I also uh, really appreciate. And uh, yeah, and very much our goal has been uh, like that. And then there was talks precisely about this unbalance of who is representing uh, which countries, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and then this idea of providing a grant to folks from the global south um, uh, happen. So now, yeah, we work working with uh, uh, five people: one person from Kenya, one person from Ghana, one person from Myanmar one person from uh, Trinidad and Tobago and one person from India. And, you know, um, it's it's also a bit, uh, it, also because of all these dynamics that we were talking about in, in early in the conversation, it's it's also, you know, a bit of a balance to um, not kind of whitewash what we want from them in a way. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if it's uh, like very, uh, very clear, but, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, like people in diverse places of the world, they they think differently and they relate different to their surroundings. Um, and so there has been um, really like talk talk consideration between us in to give them as much liberty as possible to do what they want uh, in a way. Um, like of course the goal is for them to record the so-called nature sounds. But if they later on decide they want to do something else, it's completely up to them. So our uh, focus is we gave them the technology. Uh, we are sharing all the knowledge possible. Uh, yeah. We're here to mentor, you know, if they have any technical question or any, you know, even abstract question if they want to discuss. Um, you know, we're here to share our knowledge or what we think it is. But I must say that I'm learning a lot from from you know just chatting with them actually. So I think um, was, for me the best thing is is actually has been this interaction uh, between us, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's really cool. And thanks to this uh, initiative, we we now start to fill these gaps. You know, now we have a lot of sounds from India. We start to have a lot of uh, sounds from East Africa. You know, we have sounds from Ghana also. And, and it's made by people who live there. And this is, for me, it's very important, you know? That is nice. And for us, for, for the team. They are, they are unfiltered, like, experience and their, their view, uh, or what would you call a view for ears? I have no idea. But, like, their ears for, for the nature uh, supplying the sounds. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's their, their experience. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is very cool. So yeah, it has been developing. We're working on uh, an app uh, so that people can stream. And um, uh, yeah, there's also like memberships in place if people would, uh, you know, like to support the project, which would be very appreciated also. Um, so, you know, we can keep things uh, things flowing, but uh, but all the content is free, you know, because like there's no ads. Of course, it's really nonprofit and so if you go and you want to spend 20 hours listening to nature continuously, you can do that. You know, there's not going to be a break or something saying, uh, now pay to listen to more. So that's not not happening. And like, how many submissions do you get, like typically in like doing a week or a month or? 
Uh, well, it uh, it varies. Uh, also, like my one of my uh, roles is uh, as a curator, so I'm also kind of chasing. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm chasing <laughs> artists. So, so yeah, you know how terrible to you know to listen to field recordings <laughs> from all over the world. It's uh, what a yeah. job filled hard with job. suffering. Yeah, <laughs> very hard job. Really tough. <laughs> but. Um, but you know, it's you know, to be honest, sometimes there's you know one two weeks where some nothing is coming, and then we have like you know a massive like you know oh here's ten tracks from you know Romania or something, so uh, or from many parts of the world. But um, yeah, it's it's very it's very varied. But I think in the last like three months we topped maybe eighty record new recordings or something. It's quite a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And the process, you know, it takes a little bit. Like, uh, I have to go through the, through all the recordings, you know, I, because I need to um, be sure that they are first suitable within the guidelines and then, you know, which uh, implies also that they are very well edited. You know, sometimes I there's some edits that I uh, notice or... Uh, or no, that is a that is a good recording. Or sometimes, yeah, it's complicated because sometimes you have you know human sound pollution or something that is very mm. very much on the on the back, and then you know we need to understand if uh, if that is okay or not. And uh, so there's all all these things. But if I receive like a submission of ten recordings of one hour each, I have to listen to the ten recordings. I am not complaining, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but still, I mean, at at some point your your ears get fatigued and you need to like rest. So it takes a lot of time to listen to ten hours of recordings, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah. a lot of pleasure, uh, obviously. But I mean this means that uh, that, you know, it's not an automatic process that it has to go through this not screening, but yeah, I don't know. The, yeah, the curating, equivalent yeah. for yeah, 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 curating. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, it's a it's a good word like using curating because yeah, and that also that also speaks to the quality. I mean, I've I've uh, listened to some recordings already, um, like many many times, and I, I really like it. I also have something that I I'm probably gonna submit. Um, so great. Hopefully. Yeah. Looking forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, speaking of of yourself, and um, if you're recording yourself. What I wanted to ask you is, do you have any like feeling of what you yourself, um, what your influence is on on the source material when when you record it? Like, do you feel like you're you're trying to be like very very um, open eared and listen to the place and then try to capture like a snippet that's representative of of this place? Or what's your approach to recording? Hmm. That is a very good question. I think it's in transformation a lot. Um, also depends on the scope of the project. Let's say if if there's a specific project, you know, with a, another uh, item, um, uh, identity. Yeah, yeah, identity. Ide or institution, or you know, a project with uh, some kind of other organization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to have an open year. But because of, you know, this sanitizing of recordings that we've been talking about, um, I've noticed myself actually being uh, feeling very negative uh, in the field. And this happened to me just a few days ago uh, that I was recording around here. And um, yeah, I left. It was still, you know, left from home. I, was, I just decided to walk for a bit until I reached this point where I know there's a lot of starlings and goldfinches and I was seeing a lot of, you know, bird activity uh, during the day, so I was curious because usually I'm not so much here uh, in the winter. Mm. 
And uh, so I go on this little path and uh, it was so silent, was unbelievably, unbelievably quiet. So you couldn't hear anything, anything at all, you know, until I reached this patch of trees and all the doves starting to <laughs> to leave <laughs> the trees. I'm like, oh no, I'm scaring them. Um, and then I, you know, I set everything by by the lake and the only thing that you can hear is the fish jumping in the water. Only that was also like extreme fog, like zero visibility, you know, it was like this um, almost completely dark. It was starting to open, but still was completely dark. Um, and then the dogs start to bark and it's a village. So, you know, one dog starts and then you have like 50 or something mm, like that. Yeah. And then the sheep start and then <laughs> the hunting somewhere starts. So I start to hear shotguns also. Oh. And uh, yeah, and then there was there was a mosquito, you know, <laughs> <laughs> a whole orchestra. <laughs> yeah, like coming into my wrists and into my my ankles. You know, I forgot to bring oh. like uh, socks to cover. You know, everything properly. Um, oh, I know that pain. Yeah. Yeah, and and I started to get really annoyed at everything, uh, and and then I also felt really stupid because I'm I'm thinking, oh, they are ruining ruining my recording. And then I'm like, this is this is really ridiculous because I'm in this place and I myself am looking for this to be sanitized uh, to my taste. Mm -hmm. um, and you, I haven't stopped thinking about it since this day. <laughs> um, because and look, I don't like dogs. Uh, I mean, not that I w wish them any bad, but I I hate the dog barking sound. I just I really cannot stand them. Um, and. Obviously, I hate to hear gunshots. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, the sheep, no, it's it's funny. I was laughing a little bit, you know, inside because they sound a bit like drunk people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but, but you know, it was not really what I was kind of hoping for. But I felt that was so selfish, you know. Um, yeah. I'm not saying this, you know, to try to seem, you know, whatever. But, um, but I, I thought that... What I wanted to have from here, it was not representing the reality. <laughs> and okay, I don't like to hear. I you know I think it's you know too much dogs, too many dogs. Uh, I hate the hunting part, even though it's cultural. And so you know I I cannot really, you know, have, come from a judgmental place. Uh, we can also speak about overgrazing, even though I don't really think it's the case specifically here. But I felt really, I felt really, I felt a really stupid person then, you know? Um, yeah. And um, so it's difficult to come with an open ear when then the record, the soundscape doesn't <laughs> give you what you want. But it's like, but it's, it's not, I cannot request. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not a jukebox. That is, yeah. uh, we, we've talked about on this podcast, uh, I've talked with a lot of guests about this and especially about this, like you go out to record something specific and then something happens and you get annoyed because you're not the only one that had this exact experience. And um, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> that is, yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, for me, for example, it's, uh, it's not the dogs. Uh, for me, it's airplanes. I really, really hate yeah. airplanes because I only notice them way too late. I noticed the sound and then I know like the last 10 minutes probably were ruined um, because But I was in the zone and just enjoying it? nature. You know? Yeah, you can't do anything. Yeah, right. And so that's, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm trying to be as mindful as possible about this and just like, um, like with all things that go wrong, try to at first, like uh, my gut reaction should be a smile. And if I can manage that, then the whole day is good because uh -huh. whatever happens 
doesn't matter. And in the end, it's just like we are just silly people doing stuff with microphones in the woods. So, I mean, yeah, as you said, it's not it's not a jukebox. You can't request anything. And and sometimes even if you are then not too annoyed, but can like switch, then you might find something interesting and record something interesting even. Um, yeah. Or or not, or you just like laugh and say, okay, I I wanted to record something quiet, and then this whole thing started, and now everything is loud, and it's it is kind of funny. So, yeah, yeah, you know, or at least I had the walk, and you know, I you know, yeah. I smelled this land, you know, this 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 thing, because I was also thinking, I I was feeling so grumpy <laughs> in a way, you know. And then uh, I, you know, I, I stayed for you know a couple of hours or something to see if things, if I could get you know something uh, quote beautiful or, or or something. And then you know I, I came back home. Uh, you know I was feeling a bit frustrated, but also like already awkward with these thoughts in mind. And I was thinking, damn, like this search for this for this ideal soundscape ruined my experience in nature completely like yeah. uh i i didn't really like touch anything you know i uh, uh i didn't you know smell like like how the ground is fresh you know in this time of the day y you know it's just i barely appreciated actually what i had then mm. yeah just for the sake of this so-called perfection and I and this this for me like I felt almost disgust about myself <laughs> in this in this in this context. Yeah. But you know, on the other hand, so many times like I remember the first time that I uh, it was in Sweden when I lived there in uh, in Stockholm that I went into these woods at night uh, around 10, uh, 10 p.m. in the summer. So it was you know daylight, and this for me was also novelty because you know from Portugal at ten is dark, uh, and in Sweden it's like it's you know it's, com it's completely beautiful thing. And uh, yeah, I had a Zoom H4n and I had the OKM uh, Soundman microphone. So it's like it's two tiny omnidirectional microphones that you can put in the ears, like earbuds. I don't know yeah, if you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, I, I have those as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I think uh, probably many people n now are using them because they're also relatively um, accessible in terms of price. And uh, so that that's the what I could you know afford at the time also. Mm -hmm. And um, and I'm in the middle of the forest, you know, I'm by myself, and all this bird song at 10 p.m. and it was like, wow, this is incredible incredible like really 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 incredible and also because it was one of the little islands uh outside stockholm because all this archipelagos uh, thing um of course it had some noise pollution but it you know it's not comparable to being close to town right yeah yeah and so that also that didn't exist and i was like well this is like a fairy tale you know this uh, and i was really and i only left uh i i think i was only there for 10 minutes because i was being eaten alive by mosquitoes <laughs> but this is the thing you know very uh, completely out of the bat, like in in a surprising way, I was really taking, you know, well, I was, and this was very transformative actually in 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 my practice, you know, because suddenly I was kind of confronted with all this. I think birdsong can be very beautiful, most of it, you know, but you know, in this, in also these beautiful forests, um, so these surprises also also happen, you know. Yeah, those happen constantly. I mean, it's like. Um... And and you you really need to like uh, I mean not you specifically we all <laughs> really need to be aware of when when the frustration comes just like you said um, afterwards you will say like oh and I didn't even appreciate nature then just like switch off your microphones and just uh, recorder and just 
then just yeah look around see what be you can it. see feel smell mm-hmm. be be there present yeah um and then yeah then it's not a loss because it's like it's it's never a loss when you go out in nature <laughs> even if you didn't manage to record anything nice or even if it was like dogs barking but still there are trees there are rivers there's just so, so many beautiful things around you so yeah, it's a beautiful sensorial experience, right? It's uh, I mean, even the, the 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 sheep. Then I, you know, then they were walk, you know, encounter. I encountered them, and you know, I it's just I think they look super funny. It's just uh, <laughs> they look really really funny to me, you know, and how they behave in in groups. So I was like, yeah, this is really this is really this is really cool. Uh, and but then the interesting thing also is that as I'm returning home and I start to enter like the streets area, then the starlings were all singing. I'm like, oh man, I go to that place. To record something that I hope is going to be beautiful, but what I think is really beautiful is just here in the street where I live. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, life life is funny that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and and speaking of, of beautiful things to record, um, I also definitely wanted to ask you about your recent uh, field recordings from Brazil because it just uh-huh. I think it's it hasn't been that long since you released it on Bandcamp, right? Uh, I think it was maybe two years. The last album. Something oh, like really? that. Yeah, I'm a bit lost in time. Uh, oh, or man. a year and something. Yeah, the, the, the trip was done way before, but uh, I thought I didn't have uh, good material, actually. And um, and when I revisited, like when I start to take away, take out the recordings, you know, from the folders and everything, and I go through them, I'm like, ah, this is actually nice. I think I maybe should make an album. <laughs> then I did. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, um, what was like your process of of creating that album or i mean with with all your field recording albums is it like um just like you said is it that you afterwards like compile something or do you already go into the recording sessions with the goal of compiling something yeah i try uh well i like to spend as many days as i can in a given place um i think only the album of the Swedish forest. I think I was only there for like four to five days, but you know, there was a lot of logistics that were not really depending on me. I was dependent on another person. So, you know, that's, that's what I had, but I, I'm really happy with, uh, you know, with, with, with the result. Um, uh, you know, really, really happy. It was the right time. It was the right place. You know, everything came together very nicely, but, uh, but generally, I just try to get as much variation as I can, like uh, recording in different uh, spots in the area and record at different times of the of the day, and um, you know to try also to get a sense of uh, of place and to to have this variety, which is not uh, super easy because there are some spots where sometimes you can, if you live, you know, if you record for three days in a row, for example it's almost guaranteed that it's going to be super cool, you know, because things mm, are happening yeah. all the time. It's always different. It's beauty of field re- nature field recording. It's always different. Uh, so it was not not without a little bit of, uh, uh, like, uh, restlessness that I was moving away the equipment to another spot, you know, sometimes, you know, to go, I don't know, across one lake or deeper in the forest or closer to the house or, you know, or or whatever. And sometimes the further I went, the worse the recordings became. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes when I thought that I was like, oh, this is so isolated and this place with a lake and this wall and so on. And then I listened back to the recording, this crap. And I was like, okay, I'm (laughs) never, never even going to publish this anywhere. It's horrible recording. Um, so I, I try to do that, but then I have um, a very uh, um, uh, personal and very intense uh, process of listening afterwards. Uh, 
mm-hmm. um, that I really listen to everything. It takes a lot of time. That's also, I think, kind of my projects or most of them, they end up like being kind of unfinished all the time in, in, in some way because I also like to try to ID uh, species that I... Uh, that have been recorded and I mm-hmm. am not good at like I I know few birds songs and you know few other animals sounds um, but uh, the field recording community and also the the a lot of ornithologists are so open and so available to help out to identify I think it's also cool I, I, I th- they seem intrigued and curious also to understand what something is um, so this is a beautiful thing that exists uh, very generalized in the in the community that people are really very helpful um, and, and really out of, you know, out of heart, really without, you know, wanting something in return or, or anything. I think it's very uh, selfishness, selfishness in that, in that aspect. Um, and then I, I mean, of course, uh, the recording technically should be, you know, okay without, uh, I don't know, wind distorting the microphone or something like that for the purposes of, of what of I want, of course. I mean, it's context for a lot of stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, without, you know, major interferences or, you know, you know what I'm talking about, some sort of technical perfection we can, if we can, you know, use that, that vocabulary. And it's a lot of, uh, what it speaks to me, uh, like emotionally, you know, sometimes it's, um, just passages really. Sometimes I have, uh, really long recordings. This is on the Wolf, uh, soundscape album. That is, uh, I have a really long track that yes, has yes. one cricket and a fox really far away. <laughs> and I really thought I am shooting myself in the foot by putting this thing. But, uh, yeah, no, people can swap to the next track if that becomes too much for them or something, you know, but, uh, but I think, uh, but I think it's also necessary to create this almost negative space sometimes uh, in, in, in a concept. But I remember the first one that I did, it is uh, Nocturnal Sounds from the Atlantic Forest. It was a chronological uh, uh, choice, not that they have been all recorded in the same day, but I started with a, a dawn chorus and then it went uh, throughout the, you know, the evolution of the night until day, you know, pieces from one day and then the other, but kind of now it's around midnight. Not that I was choosing because of the time specifically, but it went on a chronological order until the dawn chorus. Um, but I wanted actually to give this kind of story, this passage of time as a story yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I cannot say that, that, uh, there is like, uh, extremely objective, uh, uh, intention, uh, you know, now I want, uh, J sounds and now I want a wolf or something. It can happen in some instances a little bit, but it's not that objective. I really go with the flow mm-hmm. and how I think an album, I think about it as an album and not just uh, you know, a, a lot of tracks in an album. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. for me, there's some kind of sequence, but I think it makes sense to me. You know, it doesn't mean that it can make sense to that it would make perfect sense to everyone else. At least not the way that I, that I that I that I see it. Did that answer your question? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I just say uh, <laughs> I just wanted to say that I I find them very 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 good. Thank you. I really yeah. enjoyed listening to all of them. And especially, as I said, like the wolf sounds that mm. was the first thing I, I listened to and that really drew, drew me in because, um, yeah, I, I really felt that like it was a well curated album and not just like 
yeah, as I said, like a bunch of tracks and field recordings, um, not just like a, a trip. And then you come back with this bag of everything. But it was like, it felt like, yeah, everything had its place. So, uh, nice. yeah. Good very, to very know. Good. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> mm -hmm. Happy, happy to give you that feedback. Yeah. Um, and maybe also on the topic of recording, because I, I like to ask that my guests as well. Um, do you maybe have any recommendations for gear or any tips? And I'm especially not looking for like um, maybe a special microphone or something, but maybe something benign or something that you that you've learned over the years um just an example like a, a friend of mine told me he always has like a gardening glove with him because if he wants to like record something and has to pick up some rocks or something or, or break something then uh yeah ah. garden glove <laughs> he he hurt his hand so many times that now he always has a garden glove uh, in his pack and um, i have that as well now so oh, interesting Uh, well, mosquito repel uh, repellent. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's a good tip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, often, I mean, I definitely regretted, you know, this 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 instance I was talking about that I, you know, left it at home. Uh, I was not counting on mosquitoes on the winter, so you know, another lesson learned from someone who loves to go out in nature that didn't think about the most basic thing. Yeah. Um, interesting in that in that regard. Um, sometimes, if I feel that I have enough peace of mind. Because I have many things running in my head all the time at the same time. Uh, I know many of people struggle with this, and you know yeah. it's it's very tiring sometimes. But sometimes I take uh, a notebook, um, and this is actually part of my process. Like for every place that I record, I have a uh, a notebook just for that, uh, in which I take whatever notes, and I have both notes on the field and notes when I'm listening back. Uh, at home, you know, after the recordings or, you know, one year after even maybe. Um, and uh, yeah, I just write whatever about the place. Like, again, it's not a, a set method, but because uh, I choose to remain quiet when I am recording, I uh, with enough distance from the microphones, of course, <laughs> um, I try to... Yeah, just, you know, just noticing s small things or some impressions or, you know, even sometimes, you know, ideas that, that come to mind and that allows me to make some sort of emotional uh, connection, something on that level or, or memories, maybe. It doesn't mean that I'm like, well, connected with nature, like Snow White or something like that, you know, it's just, uh, um, I, I have those kind of moments sometimes, but um Uh, not that the animals come around me and everything starts to appear, you know, not not like that. <laughs> yeah, that I'd would be love to. that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, I would. <laughs> I know love those moments. To, man, I want to have a wild boar as a friend. I really, I'm really into this <laughs> fantasy now. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, sometimes I I do that. I know it's not necessarily uh, what you can call a, a a piece of gear, but it's something that I find really cool for myself to to do it myself. Um, so. But I don't know, you know, in general terms regarding uh, equipment, there's all the budget constraints, you know, that some people have more than, than others. Uh, but I think that the best investment one can do is proper mounts and wind protection. Um, I, I really think that, you know, if you have to put money on something when you start, it's, it's, it's that, uh, definitely. Because otherwise you're pff, ruined <laughs> um, in, in many, many instances. But... Um, Above all, it's really important to know the gear, really know your gear very well. Uh, I can tell you that we have recordings uh, on Earth FM that are made only with a Zoom H4n. Mm. 
but they are so intentional and the person who I know one person specifically that is, is that does it um they uh they know what they are doing so you would never be uh you know all this hiss or this yeah. uh, you know it's that doesn't happen um so of course if you can upgrade a little bit you know you know obviously do it right but but i think it's the um, it's the most important because you, you know if we don't develop um knowledge about how the electronic circuitry is working uh, doesn't mean that you need to know the you know the electronic circuit in detail or something like that or or even you know fundamental aspects of uh, of um, physics or acoustics. Um, then it doesn't matter if you're gonna buy a really expensive gear. I think. Uh, I mean, you can also you know just randomly have better results, but I think it's it's cool to to kind of know what you have in your hands. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that also informs then your decision of, of what to buy next because you you feel where it's lacking and where like the gear is holding you back. Um, just like you said, like for example, wind protection. If you yeah. at some point you realize, okay, I need wind protection for some of those things. Um, and it's yeah, it's a very good tip to have that early on. Um, but other, other things as well, I mean, depending on what you record. Um, for example, I just finally upgraded to a 32-bit recorder because I have a lot of things I, I do a lot of foley work as well for video games and oh, yeah. sometimes i need those like very loud sounds and it's it, it was very very tedious to always have to try to adjust the game um and yeah. now i have way more leeway and i can like really not lose any performance because of that um but yeah that just happened because of all the i i also had a zoom h for for a long long time who didn't and, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah of course all I of mean, us it was a weapon our of first choice for many weapon people, of choice yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Yeah, but uh, also uh, I was talking about this with uh, Niels Mosh precisely once, and I think uh, I was I think we were talking about uh, also like twenty four versus thirty two bit, and uh, I don't remember the specific context. But then he said, "I just think the best equipment that you have is the one that you have on your hands at that moment." And <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nathan Moody uh, said us as well uh, in our podcast here, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's a credo that's that's really true because um, doesn't matter if you have expensive equipment if you're out in the field and hear something and you don't have it, and it doesn't matter. So whatever you have, whatever you can afford, and. Um, yeah, as you said, you can you can make great recordings with that. And I also heard from people that have worked on like AAA projects and big movies and mm -hmm. they have recordings in there that they actually did with their phone because at that moment they had the phone with them and it wasn't like something that needed to be super quiet and that got used in the end in a high quality product. So yeah, um, yeah. Gear, gear really doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there also, you know, it sometimes happens. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. And sometimes there's a very beautiful recording with like a mobile phone, which is always astounding. <laughs> but yeah, that happens. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the only thing that I really have left for now, because we have been talking for a long while now, um, is I just wanted to ask you if you have any projects, interesting projects you're working on or any shout outs you want to have. I've been really digging into recordings of some field recorders that I really, really like. Um, and one is uh, Vladimir Arkhipov. Um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing correctly. And um, he is, I think he's a naturalist, I think also photographer from Russia. And he has many recordings through many places in the country. And there's something really special about his recordings they are all really really beautiful and i think one of his recordings i think is going to be my favorite 
for a very long time and it's called Dreams of Bears. And I don't know how he, how we got this, but you can actually hear like a mama bear and two or three cubs uh, like gently snoring. Mm. But they are all filled with this really beautiful sense of, I don't know, beauty. Um, so I really, really like his, his work. And there's another one from Australia that I got to know his work also this year through Earth FM. And it's called Christos Nizamis from Australia. And they are really unique as well. You know, again, they have this uh, this uh, aesthetical sense that I think is, um, <laughs> I cannot say the word, but re- filled, uh, filled with uh, beauty. And um, they're very inspiring. And also, I, th- I think that what they transmit, you know, they tell these really beautiful stories about the place and relationship to, to place that I find that is really uh, valuable. So... Yeah, within the many great, uh, you know, works that I've been listening this year, I I think these are, you know, the two that that really that really you know come to my come to my attention. <laughs> I I just it feels like I just want to plug something, no? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the spot where you plug something, so feel free. Yeah, yeah, man, it's um. It's it's so uh, interesting for me to talk to other people, to listen to their practices uh, and how they view things. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'm a bit kicked in the butt also, you know. I, you know, challenge, for example, one of the people that I've talked to uh, is uh, Felix Bloom, mm-hmm. which has a very interesting practice. You know, I've been following his work for some years now. And uh, it's not that he kicked me in the butt in a way that he was, you know, trying to teach me something, not at all. Like it was nothing like that, but I really came in with a, with a perspective and he really offered me the good side of, you know, of what I was kind of criticizing. And, uh, and, uh, this, this really allows me to grow a lot and, you know, to specifically, uh, understand how people are involved, even like with their philosophy of life, with, with their work, um yeah this is this is really I feel really fulfilled when I do this this type of this type of job and and then there's uh field recordings going in and out of the interviews also so it's like it has this undulating form kind of thing uh so so you know hopefully I'm trying to bring you know just more than a just than a conversation um so this this is what has been happening a little bit more recently. I have also started to work on something on my own, but I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to speak about it yet. Ooh, secrets. Okay, secrets. I'm looking. I'm very much looking forward to to hear what what else you're gonna work on, and and also like the Earth of M podcast. I'm of course gonna link it here. Um, very very much excited about that as well. Yeah, can I just share like some final word on very positive side of like field recording that I think maybe it's nice. Of course, of course. I, I've always felt this, that um, that with with the field recording, uh, more specifically also people who are more, um, you know, putting more time and effort to record uh, more nature, natural sounds, you know, uh, there is really no competition in the way that even though field recording can maybe, you know, at first glance seem, oh, guys that go with microphones and record zebras or uh, lake or fish whatever you know bird song or something mm-hmm. each person is so different you know on their background the things that they like 
uh, how they view the world that I can even, you know, record the same thing as you, kind of, you know, go to the same place as you and, and record. But it's always going to be different because our approaches are going to be different because somehow, even though it, it can seem that it's a little bit objective, like an ob objective work, it's, it never is. So I, and I think that this really allows also for more cooperation between people. Uh, a lot of people say this, I have the same experience. Like I, it's, it's extremely rare to have like friction with another field recordist, <laughs> right? Yeah. I think, and, and I really hope it's most people's experience. I hope I'm not wrong. Like it's my experience and some people that I talk to, they, they, they really feel the same. And, you know, and, and even though there's all this dynamics that we can interplay, you know, taking consideration and so on. It's really incredible how unique it is. And even within people that have very similar approaches, I really notice, and, and you know, I listen to a lot of different field recordings, a lot of different recordings, but to me, it's so clear, specifically some field recordists that have a very marked uh, aesthetics of their work. Hmm. And I can swear that there's at least like three or four that, you know, if I'm hearing something and I'm not told where it is or who is recording, I can tell who it is because the, yeah, the, the, the sense, you know, what they look for, the way that they record, it's very unique to them. And I think this is like, it's just really, 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 really beautiful. And um, yeah, I hope that, you know, with all these things, we can all grow together, you know, in a way and uh, support each other's work because yeah, why not? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's some beautiful words for the ending of this episode. So yeah, uh, thank you again for being my guest. I really, really appreciate it. I was looking forward to speaking with you and I hope we can speak again in the future. Yeah, thank you. It was very nice. Thank you for listening to me for so long. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting on patreon.com slash fieldandfoley or ko-fi.com slash fieldandfoley, where you gain early access to episodes in lossless format and can submit questions for our guests. Thank you for listening.